Grace and peace, and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at this church, and I am delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today as we uh, try to encounter and discover what it means to love God and to love our neighbors. Um, There are a lot of things that are going on in the life of our church. We have weekly devotionals we're sending out via email. We're recording live videos. We have our Sunday worship we're also having a drive-in service of Word and Sacrament on November the 1st, Sunday, November the 1st, at 4 o'clock in our uh, parking lot. A- anyone who lives locally is welcome to come join us. We'll be parking our cars, and we'll have a brief service, about 30 minutes. There will be scriptures, prayers, uh, a brief homily, and then we'll share communion with each other. Uh, I am also uh, wanted to make mention that there are a number of you who have been worshiping with us over these seven months online, who are not part of our local church community. You live in other places. And just at the beginning of the service, I want to say two things. One, I'm just so delighted that you've found some home of a church here with what we're doing. And also just to ask you to consider supporting this church through not only your prayers, but your offerings. The only way that we can do this, that we can provide worship and be a haven of blessing and peace to the people in our local community, across the country and across the world is because of donations and gifts and tithes and offerings from people like you who are watching. So I'll make mention of it again later in the service, but if you would like to and if you can contribute to our church, there's a link for doing so in the video description. Uh, It's a way to donate online or you can always send a check through the mail to the church. But also with that, underneath the link for giving to the church, there's uh, a PDF of our online bulletin um, so that you can see what scriptures we're having today, uh, what prayers, what hymn, all that kind of information. So you can find all of that, whether you're with us on Facebook or YouTube, that information is available to you. And with that, I'd like to share with you a brief story. One of my favorite things in the world about my job uh, is, to, is getting to be with couples prior to their marriage to do what we call premarital counseling. I love getting to do this because it's always fun and exciting to learn more about a couple, uh, to be there with them in that sacred moment, but also to see what it is they think marriage is going to be like before they get into it. Because marriage is one of those things where you have no idea what you're doing until you actually do it. But one of the things I always ask couples uh, when I get together in premarital counseling is, why in the world do you want to get married? What is it about the person sitting next to you on the couch or whatever that that makes you feel like you should marry them? And 99 times out of 100, the answer is always the same. Because I love her or because I love him. And I love hearing that answer because it's sort of like a softball over the plate for me to say, love ain't enough. Love is not a good baseline for marriage. Marriage is about a whole lot more than love. Love won't sustain you in days where things feel so difficult you don't know what to do. Particularly when people, when they say love, it has more to do with like romantic affection. And one of the things I love to say is, look at your soon-to-be partner. See how beautiful he is or she is? They're not going to look like that in 10 years. You're going to have to wake up next to that person for the rest of your life, not knowing at all how they're going to behave, how they're going to look. Love ain't enough. You need commitment and promise and sacrifice and a whole lot more. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means we need to be honest about what we're getting ourselves into. I bring this up because... Love is a buzzword in the church. We all want there to be more love. We want more love to be in the world. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves, all that kind of stuff. 
but I'm convinced that we don't even really know what we mean when we say the word love. Because the ways that we use it in marriage or even in church, it doesn't often have a lot to do with the ways that God in Christ loves us. So with that, I encourage you now to perhaps close your eyes, uh, find a comfortable posture as we are silent before the Lord as uh, we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you not knowing who we are. We start our stuff, we try to impress others with our self-confidence, and in the process we hope to be what we pretend to be. Save us, Lord, from such pretense, that we might learn who we are through trust in you to make us more than we can ever imagine. Help us reread our lives as confessions of sin made possible by your love. Bind up our wounds and our joys so that our lives finally make sense only as a prayer to you. We continue to pray, O Lord, now, silently or aloud, lifting up our own joys and concerns this day. And all God's people say, Amen. We have a special guest with us here in the sanctuary today who has asked if he can come join me for another prayer. So, Elijah Wolf. Can you say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. Okay, can you hold it? Okay, Elijah, what do you want us to pray for today? People, let's close our eyes for a moment and have a silent prayer. And then we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together? Okay, let's pray silently, and then you can start the Lord's Prayer. As you give to us okay. the grace of going beginning and the end. Okay. Our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, 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 hallowed be thy name. name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, verses 34 through 46. And we are blessed because Andy Hilton will now be reading this scripture for us. So hear now God's word. This week's scripture reading comes from Matthew 22, verse 34 through 46. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Our hymn today comes from the United Methodist Hymnal, number 357, Just As I Am Without One Plea. So join me over at the drums and sing with me, Just As I Am Without One Plea. If you don't know the words, you can find them in the online bulletin. But let's sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am. As I am poor, wretched, blind, sight rich is healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and a second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The man liked to mow his lawn early in the morning while it was still cool. It was a a welcome reprieve for him from his busy life, and to just drive back and forth on his riding lawnmower week after week, it it was really wonderful for him. And one morning, after finishing the lawn, the man was maneuvering the mower back toward the garage when out of nowhere, bam, he was tackled off of his mower and onto the ground. The man and his assailant rolled all the way down the driveway. They grappled with each other until they came to a stop, and that's when the fighting really began. Hours later, the the formerly mowing man was resting in the hospital with five broken ribs, and he was wondering to himself how he had found himself in a place like this. The man, as it turns out, was Rand Paul, the, the junior Republican senator from the state of Kentucky. And for months, the media speculated as to why this scuffle took place between Rand Paul and his assailant. In our heightened political atmosphere, with tensions running rampant, there was immense suspicion that the attacker was a Democrat, that he was an avid opponent of Rand Paul's political proclivities, someone who felt that the only recourse for their disagreements was violence. It was a frightening moment for lawmakers across the country as they each started to wonder if something like what happened to Rand Paul could happen to them too. And it was only months later, when the assailant was finally brought before a judge, that the truth came out. The attacker was Rand Paul's neighbor, and the reason he tackled him was because he was tired of Rand Paul's lawn clippings getting blown into his yard. And while a great sum of people assumed that Rand Paul's political leanings were to blame for the attack, while the media continued to postulate different theories about this national political scandal, it had nothing to do with it. It was just neighbors who didn't like each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every week, the Christian church is compelled and downright forced to rediscover the strange new world of the Bible. Whether it's a church in Northern Virginia that's streaming its services in the likes of Facebook or YouTube, or a house church that's meeting in someone's dingy basement, or the greatest of cathedrals with their giant stained glass windows, all of us were invited into the scriptures to learn more about who we are and whose we are. And indeed, it is a strange new world that Matthew describes for us today. So it's important for us to remember that the church's task, our task, is not to make the gospel intelligible in light of the world. We don't start with the world and then we try to accommodate God's word to it. Rather, we allow the strange new world of the Bible to reveal how the world we live in has already been transformed by the new creation wrought in Jesus Christ. And this is is not easy. It's not easy because many of us are so familiar, maybe even too familiar, with certain scriptures that we no longer consider them strange. Today, for example, what could be strange about a church preaching love? And yet when we read this little moment, this little story containing Jesus' pronouncement of love, we don't see how it's meant to turn the world, our world, upside down. Throughout most of the church's history— It's been all too easy to remake Jesus in our own image. It's why today any of us can get in our cars, we can drive through our neighborhoods, and we can see what appears to be a presidential election sign in someone's front yard. But then upon closer inspection, we can see, strangely enough, Jesus 
2020. And it's not altogether clear whether a Republican or a Democrat lives in that House. That this happens is indicative of the fact that all of us at times are, are guilty of picking and choosing our own verses from the strange new world of the Bible and use them in order to project a version of Jesus that makes him into our image rather than the other way around. And most of the time, ideological divides notwithstanding, the Jesus we tend to choose is a harmless, gently suggestive, long-haired hippie kind of Jesus. A Jesus we can imagine playing kumbaya around a fire. A Jesus who just, who just wants us all to get along. That Jesus is the same kind of quivering mass of availability, as Stanley Howard puts it, that many of my fellow pastors and I have become. We've leaned so far into our people-pleasing sensibilities, and we try so hard to be all things for all people that we neglect to offer the words of Jesus to the people we serve. But Matthew's gospel, particularly here in these string of passages leading up to the crucifixion, it presents the Lord who knows that sometimes there are things worth getting worked up about, that there are things worth arguing over, that there are things that call for a louder voice and a deeper conviction. So listen, having silenced the scribes and the Pharisees, the Pharisees pick a lawyer and use him to trap Jesus in his words. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? Uh, Jesus says, have you all not been reading the scriptures and going to synagogue? You know the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. It's in Deuteronomy. Go look it up. And the lawyer nods his head in approval. But Jesus keeps going. He says, but there's another one like it. This one, this one's from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. And after hearing that, no one dared ask him another question. Love God, love neighbor, that's it, Jesus seems to say. And that line of thinking and proclamation easily leads to a hallmark version of the church where all we ever do is meekly suggest that a little kindness every once in a while wouldn't hurt anybody. It's why pastors, myself included, have used the story of Rand Paul and his driveway throwdown as a way to convince congregations to be nicer to their neighbors. And yet, according to Matthew's gospel, all the things leading up to this exchange, the, the flipping of the tables in the temple, the, the belittling of the biblical literacy of the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the mic dropping at the end of a brief discourse on tax avoidance, all of those things are how Jesus loves. And Jesus, our Lord, chooses this moment after all the conflict, after all the controversy, to patiently explain that the most important thing of all, the greatest of all the laws and all the commandments, is to love God and neighbor. Which begs the question, do we really have any idea what that love looks like? More often than not, the love we preach about in church, the love we hear about in church, is used as an excuse to do whatever is necessary to keep as many people happy as possible. It's the path of least resistance that has become the way of loving God and neighbor. When truth-telling would be far too uncomfortable, we practice silence, and we call it love. When showing up and calling into question the powers and the principalities of this life requires too much of us, we remain content to stay home, and we call it 
love. When confronting our neighbors in their sinfulness becomes too difficult, we build up higher fences and we call it love. Love then becomes this code word for letting people get away with just about anything and everything. But the earliest Christians, those who really put their lives on the line for their faith, they weren't persecuted for what they believed, like Jesus is Lord, but they were persecuted for what they refused to believe, Caesar is Lord. The church now and always is distinguished not only by what we stand for, but also by what we condemn. We can stand and we can call for love until we're blue in the face, but what good is love if nothing ever changes? There was a pastor named uh, Carlisle Marney who used to reject his fellow pastors for degenerating into a preaching style that came off as self-help therapy. He was sick and tired of people saying, God loves you just the way you are. And he would say, you preachers are always saying, bless, 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 when you ought to be saying, damn, damn, damn. I mean, think about it. God loves you just the way you are. It's a very common refrain in the church these days. I'm guilty of it. I've said it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And there are absolutely people who need to be told those words for a great number of reasons, because they've been told for wrong reasons that God doesn't love who they are. But for as many people as there are like that, there is an equal number of people who need to be reminded, myself included, that there is a reason that we cannot remain as we are. That if we remain as we are, it only makes a mockery of what God in Christ did for us. So here's an example. There's this beloved hymn in the church, Just As I Am, the hymn that we used in the service today. Just as I am without one plea. That sounds an awful lot like God loves us just the way we are. Except the very next words are, but that thy blood was shed for me. Christ's blood was shed for us precisely because of who we are. The rest of the hymn goes on to talk about the poor, the wretched, the blind, fighting in fears within, without. Those words aren't describing other people out there somewhere. They're describing us, the ones for whom Christ died. The cross, the resurrection, they rectify us. They make right what was wrong. They change us. That means we can't remain as we were or as we are. We, all of us, the good and the bad, we're being worked on by God in ways both seen and unseen. We're being changed. But that doesn't sound like the kind of love we so often hear about in church. Because most of us were content to hear the call about, hey, you should try to do a nice thing today or, or every once in a while. Or maybe spread a little more kindness or a host of other lovely opportunities. And yet, love. Love, according to the strange new word of the Bible, it doesn't look like what happens on Valentine's Day or even suggestions on how to make the world a better place from civic organizations. Love looks like the cross. And that kind of love is dangerous. The Jesus we encounter in Scripture understands that to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength, to love neighbor as ourselves is demanding and it's very risky. Because it's following the path of love, at least for Jesus, it means 
jumping into debates. It means calling into question the powers and the principalities. It means not letting the world continue on in its backward and broken ways. And that kind of love, it got Jesus killed. Of course, we are not the Lord, thanks be to God. In the end, God does what we couldn't and what we wouldn't, and that's the whole point. We are called to a love that we regularly fail to do. To know what it means to love God and neighbor, at least as Jesus defines it, it requires us to take seriously the way Jesus loved. And his love is seen in his willingness to eat with the outcast, to reach out to the untouchable, to embrace the powerless, to confront the demonic, to outmaneuver the manipulative, to correct the clueless. And today, we can only know what it means to love God because God loves us. And this godly love can be at times harsh and dreadful because to be loved by God is to know ourselves truthfully. It is to know that in the end, we don't deserve God's love. And in this remarkably delicate situation, this time we find ourselves in days away from a presidential election, all in the midst of a pandemic that has wrought horrific economic and cultural unrest, we hear these enduring words from Scripture about loving God and neighbor, and it should give us pause. Not just pause to consider whether or not we really love God or neighbor, but also to consider how bewildering it is to be loved by God, to be loved by our neighbors when we don't deserve it. And it's when we begin to witness the condition of our condition that we are loved in spite of all evidence to the contrary, that's when things begin to change. After all, God is love. And contrary to all of its complications, love really is the heart of the life of the church and every single disciple of Jesus. And yet the presumption that love is just something we do or that it's easy or that it's natural, it does a disservice to the one who died for us in the name of love. To love rightly, that is to love faithfully, is to recognize the hard demands of love made manifest in Christ, who, from the hardwood of the cross, still pronounced a word of love and forgiveness over a world hell-bent instead on hatred and retribution. Love. The kind of love that God has for us and the kind that we are called to have for God and neighbor is way more strange than we make it out to be. But without it, we would be completely lost. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we say we want to serve you. We say we want to help others less fortunate than ourselves. We say we want justice. But the truth is we want power and we want status and we want influence so that we don't have to do the hard work of confessing who we really are. So we pray, Lord, that you might free us from the anxiety that self-deception breeds so that we might be who we truly are, loved by you, and only then capable of loving you and our neighbors. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, with figuring out ways that we can love God and others because God has first loved us. But we also respond with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. 
as I made mention at the beginning of the service, uh, we, we give because we know that God can do more with what we have, and also because all of it first belongs to God. We also give so that this church might continue to flourish and be a blessing to people in our local community, national community, and our worldly community. Uh, you can, I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts. You may do so by giving online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You can also give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. But give, give abundantly uh, to the Lord who loves you and me abundantly. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. With that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death, of resurrection, help you to see, know, feel, and believe that you are profoundly loved, but part of that love means you can't stay where you are as you are, but that that love gives you the power to love God and neighbor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, as we continue to figure out the politics of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. I come with joy to meet my Lord, forgiven, loved, and free, in awe and wonder to recall his life laid down for me, his life laid down for me. I come with Christians far and near to find as all are fed, the new community of love in Christ's community. one and stranger